Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. It's good to be with you today, church. It's wonderful to worship with you. I hope that when you gather with the church and when we sing songs of praise to God, you are considering the words that we sing. A few minutes ago, we sang these words. Death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me. But the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon that cross. Onward to eternal glory, to my Savior and my God. I rejoice in Jesus' victory. It was finished on that cross. I want to encourage you to consider the rich doctrine and theology that fills the songs we sing. Consider the words and know that as we praise God, we are affirming sound biblical truth in what we sing. The words of the song, it was finished upon that cross, align closely with our text this morning. And that was intentional. Church, what we sing matters. I hope you know this, and I hope you are giving consideration to the words we sing and not just simply singing along. Dwell deeply on them. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different. We're going to begin a series through the New Testament book of Galatians. While we also continue through the book of Exodus. Pastor John will continue to preach through the book of Exodus. And I will be preaching through the epistle to the Galatians. The book of Galatians is a timely book for our church as we continue in Exodus. Because these two books together beautifully form bookends. Well, the book of Exodus gives us the Mosaic law and the requirements thereof in the law, revealing God's holy character and also setting apart a people for himself. The book of Galatians deals with the New Testament believer and the freedom which believers have through Christ our Lord because he has fulfilled the law. I'm excited to begin this series with you, and I look forward to what the Lord has in store for his people through his word. Please take your copy of God's word and find your way to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, we will beginning, uh, we'll be beginning in verse 1. If you need a Bible, we have them on the back table. They are available for you to use. If you need a Bible, please, by all means, take one with you. While you're finding your way to Galatians 1, I'd like to set the context in place for us. To do this, we're going to briefly consider four distinct questions about the book of Galatians. They are simply this. Who, where, when, and why? To understand the setting of the letter to the Galatians, we need to answer these. I'll work through these questions before we head into the text today. First, who? Who is the author of Galatians and who is the intended audience? We don't have to look any further than verse 1 of chapter 1 in the book of Galatians to learn who the book's author is. This book, though inspired and breathed out by God, was penned by the Apostle Paul. 
Right in the opening greeting, in the first verse, in fact, in the first word of this letter, Paul is credited as the author. Now, down through history, there has been some controversy by those who have suggested that the letter to the Galatians could have been written, in fact, by someone different, an unknown author who simply signed Paul's name in an effort to give their writing some form of apostolic legitimacy. However, the theory of a pseudo-writer stands in direct opposition to the plain words of Scripture, which tells us it was Paul. Portions of this letter deal with specific topics and things relating to Paul's previous interactions with the Galatians. Since we know that God's word contains no contradictions and it has no errors, Therefore, when the Bible says Paul's the author, we can stand upon the truth of Scripture, we can believe what it says, and we should disregard foolish theories that are opposed to what the plain word of Scripture tells us. So we know who wrote this letter, but who was the intended author, or the intended reader, sorry. Who was Paul writing to? Well, if you guessed Galatians, congratulations, you too must have read the book title. More specifically, though, we're told this letter was written to the churches in Galatia. Note that Paul's letter to the Galatians was not addressed to one specific church. Rather, this letter was written to a group of churches within the region of Galatia. His letter was directed to multiple churches in Galatia and was common in that time. This letter would have been circulated among those churches for each congregation to read. Now we know who the author is, and we know who the letter was written to. This leads to our next question. Where? Where? Galatia was a region in Asia Minor. Uh, it was a Roman province, and therefore obviously under Roman rule. There is some debate as to whether Paul's letter was directed to the Galatians on the south end of the region of Galatia, or on the north end of the region, or possibly both. Nevertheless, we know that it was written to the churches in Galatia. And whether it was to the southerners, the northerners, or both, that does not change anything for us as we read and we study. It's written to the churches there. For those in the room who like geography, the region known as Galatia today would be known as modern Turkey. Now we know who and we know where. But when? When was this letter written? There is fairly broad consensus that it would have been around the year 48 to 49 A.D. And if these dates are indeed correct, it's believed that the letter to the churches in Galatia may have been Paul's very first, or at least one of his earliest epistles during the years of his ministry. It's worth noting that the word epistle simply means a formal, specific letter, typically sent to a person or group of people. And that's exactly what the book of Galatians is. It's a formal letter to a group of churches in a specific region dealing with a specific topic. Which leads to answer our final introductory question. Why? What's the topic? Why did Paul write to the Galatians? What was his purpose? 
Well, we know from other places in the New Testament, such as the book of Acts, that Paul had previously preached the gospel and taught in many of the towns throughout Galatia during his missionary journeys. Scripture speaks of Paul visiting places like uh, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. These are all towns and villages and places within the region of Galatia. As we will learn in greater detail as we work through this epistle together, after Paul left Galatia, men had come in among the churches there and were teaching destructive, false doctrine. Judaizing men had snuck in among the churches there and were teaching that circumcision and adherence to the law of Moses was still required in order to be saved through Jesus Christ. And the churches of Galatia were falling head first for this. You see, these Judaizers were not simply dismissing the gospel outright. That would have been much easier to spot. They were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and... dot, dot, dot. They were teaching that faith in Christ and keeping the law and being circumcised were required in order to be saved. They were diluting the gospel. After having been taught the true gospel, the Galatians had now been duped into believing a works-based salvation, where I must do this thing, I must obey these rules, and then I'll be saved by Christ. To say it another way, the Galatians had fallen for the belief that God's saving them was dependent upon what they did for God. If man's works are believed to be any part of what saves him, then Pharisaic legalism and self-righteousness are sure to follow. The words of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 remind us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. One commentator put it this way, the Galatians were trying to base their justification on their sanctification. They were trying to base being justified upon their sanctification. They were trying to be justified or made right before God in part by their conduct, by their works. Thus, Paul's letter to the Galatians is not one of encouragement or accolades. You'll note when we go into the text that unlike many of Paul's other letters, he skips the niceties. He doesn't say anything about thanking God daily for them with tears or rejoicing over them as dear children. Rather, this letter is a scathing rebuke to these churches that had drifted into the bondage of the law rather than living in the freedom Christians have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This letter deals extensively with the topic of faith in and freedom through Christ the Son. It deals with freedom from the bonds of the law. Paul is writing to the Galatian churches in order to correct 
and draw them back to the one true gospel. He's putting back in order what had fallen apart. Pastor J.V. Fesco in his commentary on Galatians reminds us that love and rebuke are in no way antithetical. Or to put it another way, love and correction are not directly opposed. You see, Paul's firm rebuke of the churches was not because he did not care for them. Rather, his rebuke was out of love, seeking to call them back to the truth. As we will see more clearly as we move forward, there's an overarching theme to the book of Galatians. And it's simply this. God's people are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and not by obedience to the law or outward ceremonies. Let me say that again. God's people are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and not by obedience to the law or outward ceremonies. This morning, we're going to focus on the first five verses of Galatians chapter 1. Please join me uh, as we read our text for this morning. Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Father, I ask that you would guard my mouth today. Father, I pray that you would help us to apply your word in our lives. Father, help the gospel to shine through today as we study, as the word is expounded. May it be your word alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. In this opening verse, we see Paul making a distinction. He states that he is an apostle, not from men nor through men. With absolute clarity, he says that his apostleship, his apostolic authority, if you will, was not given by or through a group of disciples or even the other apostles. Rather, he was called by God through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Remember, Paul is writing to correct false teaching that had crept into the church. And it's likely that his opponents, these Pharisaic Judaizers who were contradicting what he had already taught there, were also probably undermining his authority any way they could. After all, Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. He had not been a follower of Jesus while he walked the earth. 
And of course, let's not forget Paul's sordid past as one who had murderously persecuted the church before his conversion. Paul's opponents were likely opposing him on every front in order to advance their own false doctrine and protect their agenda. Therefore, Paul is reminding his readers that his authority is not based on his own wisdom, nor is it from men who conferred on him a title of apostle. No, Paul's authority came directly from the Lord, who had appeared to him on the Damascus road and who said that Paul was to be the Lord's chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The story of Paul's conversion unfolds in Acts 9, and I would encourage you to go home and read it this week. Acts 9. It is a beautiful story that is the heart of the gospel. Paul stopped dead in his tracks on the way to continue his murderous path, and God intervenes. Paul's authority was different from that of those Judaizing men who were wrecking havoc on the Galatians. Because Paul was one commissioned by Jesus Christ to preach and propagate the gospel. It's noteworthy that one of the distinguishing marks of being an apostle was to have seen Jesus after his resurrection. We know that Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection multiple times. The gospels all speak to this. He appeared to them many times after his resurrection. Also, in the book of Acts, when Matthias, in chapter 1, is chosen to fill the place among the apostles that was deserted by Judas, who betrayed Christ, it is said that Matthias had been with the disciples and the apostles from the time of John's baptism of Jesus and through the day of Christ's ascension. Matthias saw the resurrected Lord. And then finally, Paul. Christ appeared to Paul after his resurrection on the road to Damascus, setting Paul apart as an apostle for the cause of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 through 10, Paul states these words. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he... Jesus, appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul is an apostle, and he carries apostolic authority. In the original Greek language, the word apostolos, apostolos means this, a messenger, a delegate, one commissioned by another to represent them. This is the point that Paul is making in the first verse of Galatians 1. He does not stand on his own authority, but comes bearing the message of the king who called him, who appeared to him, and who appointed him to be a messenger of the gospel. Look with me to the second verse of Galatians 1, please. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. 
Well, Paul stands on the authority of being an apostle sent by Christ, and thus he pens this letter alone. Paul does not stand alone in this letter. He is joined by disciples and fellow Christian brothers who come alongside him in this letter, appealing and admonishing the Galatian churches to return to the true gospel by faith and not by works. And all the brothers who are with me, together we call upon you. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers of the core, the very heart of the gospel. Grace and peace from God. In a letter to churches that had compromised on the free gift of the gospel, in a letter to churches that were now actively trying to earn that which no sinful man will ever be good enough to earn. Paul comes right out with it and reminds his readers that it is all by grace and peace from God that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? Well, in the original language, it means undeserved kindness and unmerited favor. But the uh, definitions you will often hear at the village that we've used, and I think they are accurate, when God shows mercy, he does not give us what we deserve. When God shows grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. At the very center of the gospel is God's grace to fallen sinners, getting what we need most, but what we can never deserve. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace, dear ones. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Not once we had it together, not once we were worthy of it, but while we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, dead. Because Christ's work upon the cross, because of that, we who were formerly enemies with God have peace with Him through Jesus. We have peace through Jesus. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy is made a son. Paul is reminding his readers that grace and peace to them are from God. Through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. This is the perfect way to begin a letter to those who had become legalistic Pharisees who thought that they could obey and do and somehow be saved because of their works. Paul says, no, it's grace. This thought continues in verse 4 of Galatians. 
So grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. The Apostle Paul now reminds the Galatians of the great cost that was paid for their salvation. Note his words, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The apostle here is talking about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. One of the three persons in the Godhead. The same in essence, equal in power, glory, and eternity. The brightness of the Father's glory, equal with him who made the world. And he who upholds and governs all things. That Jesus, the Son of God, infinite in worth, humbled himself, came to earth as a man, lived a sinless life, perfectly fulfilled the law of God, died a sinner's death, though he was without sin, satisfied the just wrath of God, bearing the weight of our sin. He died was buried in the tomb, rose three days later, conquered over death, sin, and the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of God, having made a way, by grace, through faith, in Christ, for all who believe. A verse we know well, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In these opening lines of his letter, Paul has returned to the basics of the faith. He's reminding them of the fundamentals of the gospel. This is Christianity 101. The the Apostle Paul reminds the Galatians who it is that delivers them from this present evil age. It's not themselves. It's not their circumcision And it's not their futile attempts to keep the law. It's Christ Jesus, through God's eternal plan, set in place before the earth was formed. It's worth noting that the Apostle Paul's words, present evil age, it's not referring to a specific time or period of time. Rather, this present evil age refers to our world, which is fallen and broken marred by sin and man's rebellion. In verse 4, Paul also says, according to the will of God, to the will of our God and Father. Christ gave himself for our sins. This is God's will, his eternal plan from before time. Isaiah 53, 10 speaks prophetically concerning Jesus, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Acts 2.23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. According to the will of our God and Father. Ephesians 1.3-6, 
beautifully reminds us, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 4 again, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul is reminding his readers, the churches in Galatia, that it is God's plan and God's will to save those whom he does through the Son. And no works of man will deliver anyone in this present evil age. Look with me to our final verse for today in Galatians 1, verse 5. Galatians chapter 1, verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the clear message of the gospel of grace, where man contributes nothing but the sin that makes his salvation necessary, and where where God saves undeserving sinners and shows them mercy and grace, all of the glory goes to God alone. The Galatians were not co-saviors of themselves with God because of their work to obey the ceremonies and the law. They contribute nothing to it. Their righteousness is filthy rags, just like ours. All the glory belongs to God for salvation because He works alone. Paul reminds the Galatians of this before he moves any further in his letter He sets this straight. Their works, their obedience to the law, their trying to do the right things didn't matter. Before he goes any further in his letter, and we will study this the next few weeks, he sets this straight because this is where the foundation must be. The grace of God, the gospel, the work of Christ. Christ fulfilled the law because we could not. The next time we gather, we will pick up where we left off with verse 6. So how do we apply what we have read and what we've heard today? For the Christian in the room, do you find yourself struggling, feeling that you must contribute something, anything to your salvation? Do you live knowing that Jesus has done all that was necessary to justify you before God? Do you hold fast to the gospel by grace through faith in Christ alone? Just as the Apostle Paul reminded the Galatians that salvation is God's work and is for His glory alone, so too we must be reminded and live in the knowledge that Christ did the work And now we live by grace and in freedom. Since we are saved by grace alone, our actions now do nothing. Our actions should now be motivated simply by a love for God. Obedience becomes our desire and is no longer our yoke of bondage. 
We obey because we love. And we love because God first loved us. I hope you know that freedom today. Our works do not save us. If you struggle with feeling worthy, feeling that you've not done enough to be worthy, dear ones, go to the scriptures and read deeply. You will never do enough. You can never be good enough. You can never do the right things. You can never follow the right rules. And that is the beauty of the gospel. God has done it all through Christ Jesus the Lord. He gets all the glory for this great work because it is His alone. If you're here today and you have questions about faith in Christ, I would love to talk to you. Pastor John would love to talk to you. Don't leave here today unsure. God has made a way through His Son I'd love to talk with you about that more. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, praise you for your word. We praise you for the reminder that we have, that we contribute nothing to our salvation. We maintain our salvation not because we do anything. It was finished upon the cross. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for redemption through Christ who did what we could not. Father, I pray that you would help us to apply this in our lives, to live free, to glorify you because of what you have done. Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.